Go Tigers. I, welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson show across the state of Georgia. I, I just, I know I didn't watch the game. I started to watch the game and I couldn't watch the game because every time I watched the game, LSU started sucking. And you know, like, like Moses would raise his hands in the air. And as long as he kept his hands in the air, the Israelites would win. I had to turn the game off because, because if I watched the game, they would lose and if I, if I didn't watch the game, they would win, and I knew it. And every time I turned on the game, they had a setback. Joe Burrow at one point got hurt. I, I couldn't watch the game. I had to turn it off. I had to actually stay up and wait for the text alerts from all the wire services to tell me they had won. I knew they would win. As Listen, I respect the sovereignty of God. I understand that he is in control, but I also understand that God has a sense of humor and, and in his sovereign will, if I watched, they would lose. And if I didn't watch, they would win. And by God, they won 42 to 25 LSU beat Clemson. Uh, it, it is a great, my, listen, those of you who are Clemson fans, Nikki Haley, if you're listening this morning, she was trash talking me last. Nikki Haley's a very good friend of mine. Uh, has been a very good friend of mine for a very long time. She's trash talking me last night, though. LSU won, Nikki. LSU won. We we should have placed. See, here's the problem. Several people said Nikki and I should have placed bets. Uh, we we should have done something. I, I knew she would wind up making me cook or something. Uh, but I couldn't place the bet because my kids actually like Nikki Haley more than me. <laughs> and so they would have gone with Nikki, not with me. Uh, and they would have been rooting against their grandfather's uh, team. My, my my dad is a huge LSU fan, lives in Louisiana. Uh, man, uh, Joe Burrow, uh, what a quarterback. Maybe the best college quarterback uh, to play the game. Broke a record. Uh, in number of, of touchdowns uh, for a season. Just what a what an incredible guy. I asked Senator Ben Sass of Nebraska this morning. I sent him an email. I put it on Twitter, but I know he didn't use Twitter anymore, so I had to email Ben Sass and say, uh, would you please draft a resolution in the Senate to commend Nebraska for deciding they didn't want Joe Burrow back in the day? Burrow's dad went to Nebraska, and Burrow wanted to go to Nebraska. Nebraska said they weren't interested. So he went to Ohio State. Ha, pig farmer, if you're listening. Ha! Went to Ohio State, and uh, they decided he was the backup quarterback. He didn't want to be the backup, so he went to LSU, uh, had a somewhat unremarkable season his first year. And then look at this. And now the Heisman winner wins the National Football Championship. You know he doesn't even go to class at LSU. He doesn't even know his way around campus. He does online work. He's working on his master's at LSU. The the people who um, are, are on the football team with him says some of them don't even know where he lives. He, he's got an apartment. He spends his day watching documentaries, playing Xbox, and watching football teams. Of course he does. The guy's like football monk, um, which is fascinating. How can you go to LSU and not be okay? Let, let me just, let, I have to be careful what I say here. We can't give away too many secrets of, of my college days, but I am from Louisiana. I went to Mercer here in Macon, where I am. Met my wife at Mercer. Our roommates were engaged. My roommate decided he was gay, so it didn't work out for them. It worked out for my wife and me. We were the ones who had cars and drove our roommates around until they broke up. Uh, we wound up getting married. Uh, my third year in law school, we started dating again. My wife moved back to Carrollton. I would go home during the summer, and my best friend lived in a fraternity house at LSU. I spent many a night... Uh, and, you know, back then, the drinking age was still 18 in Louisiana, and by the time they raised it to 21, I had a great fake ID. Uh, not that I would confess that on national radio, but nonetheless, I would go to LSU. It, oh, man, I have so many good memories 
of spending time on campus at LSU. It is an incredible place. And I never transferred back, never wanted to move back to Louisiana. It had all sorts of problems, but it's, it is a wonderful place. I love taking my kids to Louisiana. We don't get there enough to see my family, but I, I do love LSU. I like Georgia too. And my wife's family, they're all Georgia Tech people. But I got a soft spot for LSU. I spent so much time on that campus, never going to class. Um, I have many memories, some of which maybe one day will resurface. <laughs> but hey, I, I love it. It was great. But I couldn't watch the game because I knew they would lose. It was kind of funny uh, watching them in, in the first uh, two quarters of that game last night, seeing so many people start trash talking the SEC. They always want to trash talk the SEC. Uh, when, when someone from the, they're always convinced the SEC is actually overrated, that Alabama actually isn't as good as it has been, that LSU isn't that good. They want to trash talk them. And here came LSU with Clemson. And Clemson is such an incredible, such an incredible team. And uh, Ogeron uh, beat them. I, I, I swear, though, y'all, I shouldn't say I swear. Um, I just think that they had that promo video for LSU last night. And they really should have had Ogeron do it. I think you got to come to the LSU as a team for the champions, champion team. LSU, come get, come drink on campus with the diary bar and hang out on LSU and you're going to have a blast and you're going to get a prestigious college degree. Uh, it would have been, it would have been fantastic if he did the, did the voiceover. All right, we will move on. I have a really big announcement as we start the program. My slacker call screener is back from killing hogs in Florida. So we can actually take your phone calls today because he's actually working. I see the phone lines are open. The phone number is available and you actually can call the program today. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you call, you should ask him how many vacation days he expects to take this year. 877-973-7425. Oh, he's listening too. Okay, okay, okay. Um, we got to we got to get on to real news, and, and I want to start with, with a somber note of real news that is not fully in the headlines, but it probably should be. Uh, right now, it is nine uh, twelve a.m. If you're listening to this live, my kids have a beloved teacher at their school, and I don't want to go into the details uh, of everything, uh, but they've got a beloved teacher at their school who has been called up to duty in Afghanistan for the second time. And I realized last night, my kids are really upset about it. And they asked me, why are we going to Afghanistan? And I don't really have an answer anymore for it. You used to be able to say we're going to Afghanistan because the Taliban was in charge. They were they had turned it into a terrorist safe haven and they allowed the people who plotted 9-11 and brought down the World Trade Center and, and killed thousands of Americans. They allowed them to have a safe haven there. They helped fund them. They helped them plan and prepare the attacks on Americans. And so George W. Bush went into Afghanistan to take them out. Why are we still there? 19 years later, I, I, I don't have an answer for why we are still at war in Afghanistan. If you've read the Washington Post stories, you know, this, this is the, the, the damnedest thing about the American media cycle is so anti-Trump. If it was Donald Trump who had steered 
the rationale for being in Afghanistan toward a bunch of hooey, it would still be a story. But the Washington Post came out with that sensational story about the Obama administration essentially lying and members of the military lying to justify our presence in Afghanistan still. And it fell on deaf ears and the media immediately pivoted to something else because it actually didn't make the Trump administration look bad. It made the Obama administration look bad. If nothing else, it made the Trump administration look like suckers because it was um, bureaucrats within the Pentagon trying to justify our existence in Afghanistan, uh, trying to convince President Trump to not to stay in Afghanistan when President Trump actually wants to leave Afghanistan. It was actually tremendous to see, to watch, to note that it is the bureaucracy within the Pentagon uh, trying to dissuade President Trump from leaving. It it was the Obama administration that wanted to actually stay. It was Obama-era bureaucrats put in place who did this, and the media can't hang their hat on that. Now, certainly there were problems going back to the Bush administration. The Bush administration is where it began, the end of the Bush administration. We had lost our way in Afghanistan. But we've never refound our way. There's there's never been a defined victory in Afghanistan. We have a new government set up, and that government is super corrupt and seems to have no ambition to clean up its corruption. And so we have no rational purpose to stay in Afghanistan if that government is not going to really take our help and reform itself. And I don't have a good explanation to my kids why their beloved teacher is going to have to go to Afghanistan on another tour. And I don't know that anyone else has that reason. I don't know that anyone in the government can provide that reason. And that's really disappointing. I I supported President Bush doing what he did. At the time, it was justified The Taliban in charge had turned Afghanistan into a safe haven for al-Qaeda where they could be funded, trained, and operate to launch terror cells around the world uh, and to take on the United States directly with the USS Cole, uh, the, the bombings in Africa, and ultimately the World Trade Center. It made sense to go in and blow them to smithereens. But that was 20 years ago. Why are we still there? I don't know that anyone has the answer. And I don't know what to tell my kids. In fact, last night when my kids were asking me about this, they're in, a, they're in an assembly right now at school for their teacher who is leaving. Today is his last day. And when they asked me last night, I said, we went into Afghanistan because the government there was bad and had given safe haven to terrorists and allow them to train and fund them so that they could kill thousands of Americans, and they did it. And we went in and we took out that government, and then my my 14-year-old daughter says, well, why are we still there? And I said, we're still there because the people of Afghanistan have been unable to take up arms and finish the job of eradicating uh, both the former government members and the terrorists. And so we need to be there to help them. And that was the best I could do. 
And thankfully, she didn't ask questions of more questions of how long is it going to be? How long is it going to take? At what point do we decide enough is enough? I'm I'm I've been there for a while uh, that enough is enough. 20 years on, we still haven't got the job done. The military makes it very clear we actually don't have a, a rationale for being there. And you talk to not just enlisted now, but officers who are serving in Afghanistan. You know, I, I, I grew up in the Middle East. Uh, my family served as a, as a place for the enlisted in the Fifth Fleet to come and relax whenever they would come into dry docks in Dubai. Our, our house overflowed with sailors for 10 years. Uh, my oldest sister wound up marrying a sailor. Um We had a lot of military personnel in and out of our house, and I know the enlisted uh, always have strong opinions. When you get to the officer corps in the Middle East now, and in Afghanistan, it's not really even the Middle East, Afghanistan, they have strong opinions now, very strong opinions as well, uh, and none of them really think we're in a winnable situation there. We're in a preserve the status quo situation, and that's just not good enough. And... President Trump has said he wanted to get us out of Afghanistan, and maybe now is the time for him to start considering doing that as we head towards the election year next year. The Democrats are going to make it a political issue anyway, so let the president preempt them with it. If yes, if you want to call into the program, my my slacker culture who tells me he's taking off the same day I'm taking off, he's taking off. How is this even possible? Poor Alan Sanders is going to be filling in for me on the 24th while I'm in L.A. Uh, for HBO. Uh, he's going to be flying solo. The The phone number, if you want to call in and give him a hard time, is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Uh, is the phone number. So, uh, yes, I, I got to go back to the, the the national championship game last night. Vince Vaughn, the actor, was there. He was seen on video uh, enjoying a conversation with the President of the United States and First Lady. For those of you who don't know, Vince Vaughn uh, is a Trump-supporting Republican. And he's been very open about the fact that he likes the president and is a Republican. And they're giving him, they're, they're trying to cancel him on uh, social media now. They are trying to uh, get people to boycott Vince Vaughn films and not watch it. I, I don't know when the last time Vince Vaughn has been in a project. We, we, should, we should find this. Uh, Vince Vaughn. Uh, we should find when is is Vince Vaughn. Um, da, 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 when's his next project? Uh, uh, he's got a he's got a couple of things coming out uh, this coming year. They're in post production. We will see. Uh, but he hadn't had a he hadn't had a ton of stuff out there uh, of late. Um, but he's got a couple of he's got a couple of things coming out this year. So there you go. Uh, yes, cancel culture for Vince Vaughn for daring to be seen with the president of the United States last night. This reminds me of the the left wing freakout over Ellen hanging out with George W. Bush. How dare she hang out with George W. Bush? The audacity of hanging out with George W. Bush. Uh, poor old Ellen uh, had to had to apologize. Uh, but also say that she was willing to have friends who she might disagree with. Good for her. I, I think we need to we need to have more people who are willing to willing to disagree. Okay.
we can move on from all of this now. Uh, your phone calls, uh, 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, we need to talk about impeachment. Before we talk about impeachment, I got to play this audio for you. I bookmarked this yesterday. I intended to play it yesterday, and I should have played it yesterday because I would have been ahead of the curve because it's blowing up right now. Um, this is John Kerry on Face the Nation. They asked him about the Iran deal, and they threw his old quotes in his face. Listen to this. President, Everything the that's happened going in the last on the, days. Uh, going on the, the attack on that deal this morning, specifically mentioning you, perhaps not a surprise. Um, but, you know, I, I know the deal you negotiated lifted sanctions, uh, gave some relief in exchange for capping the nuclear program. There was also a parallel negotiation that released some cash uh, as part of a, a settlement of a different, separate dispute. The president this week put blame on the administration, your, the administration you served on with essentially helping to provide money to the IRGC. Uh, I want to play a soundbite of what you said in 2016 to CNBC when you were asked about how Iran would spend the money. I think that some of it will end up in the hands of uh, uh, the IRGC or of other entities, some of which are labeled terrorist. Uh, in, in, you know, to some degree, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every uh, component of that can be prevented. But I can tell you this. Right now, we are not seeing the early delivery of funds going to that kind of endeavor at this point in time. Mm -hmm. I'm sure at some point some of it will. I remember talking to you at the time. Money is fungible. Sure. Why, though, Absolutely. did you money think is fungible. that that was a risk worth taking if you knew the possibility of, of what would happen with that money? Well, what I was really saying, I think, uh, uh, first of all, Margaret, you are an expert at this. You were there. You know that the president's tweet is a lie. And the president tweeted this morning because I am coming on the show and he knew you'd ask me the question or he'd push you in a place where you did ask the question. N notice how he's trying to flatter her and then suggest she's being used as a pawn of the president. You and the media, I think, need to call a lie a lie. You know, Mr. They Secretary, didn't get I asked you that question in 2015, dollars. too. No, no, no. <laughs> but let me just finish. You know. Yes. And I'll, I'll answer that. I was saying clearly some money from the budget of Iran is going to go to the IRGC. It always has. That's no surprise. But the truth is, and, and President Trump, uh, I, I, well, he probably doesn't know this, but the fact is his own Defense Intelligence Agency in 2017 testified to the Congress that very, very little money actually went to the IRGC at all. Most of the money went to the economy of Iran, which is precisely what I said and what we all said. So. The IRGC has never had a problem getting money, Margaret. But the fact is, Donald Trump keeps saying they got $150 billion, a lie. He keeps saying that all of that money went to pay for it. It did not. His own defense intelligence agency says most of the money went for the economy of the country. So, you know, we have to mm -hmm. stop dealing uh, with questions on Donald Trump's lies. Wow. Uh, money is fungible. So you mean they put money into Iran's economy and the money that was being put into Iran's economy went to the IRGC. That's essentially what he's saying. So in other words, they did make it possible to fund the IRGC. He doesn't want to admit it, but he just did on national television. 
And he's having a meltdown now about it. The Democrats are having a meltdown about it, but it's the truth. The Obama administration helped fund the Iranian army. This hour of this year program is sponsored by the fine folks at First Liberty of Georgia. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. If you are connected to a small or medium-sized business and you want to help them grow to be a big business and you don't want to deal with bank bureaucracy, First Liberty of Georgia is who you need to talk to. They can help you get the capital needed to grow your business. Go to FirstLibertyGA.com. Talk to my friends the Frost family. Be sure to let them know that I sent you. Give me some credit for connecting you to them uh, and help them as they have helped me uh, sponsoring this program. Thank you very much to First Liberty of Georgia. I want to move into impeachment now. Uh, and it, I, I got to be honest with you. Let me be honest. I don't care about impeachment. And I realize, see, this is the problem. So when I was at CNN, I was at CNN for three years. And one of my bosses there, I actually tweeted out one night uh, and I said, I'm not watching. This was in 2012. And I tweeted out, uh, I'm not watching the Democratic debate. I have no interest in it. Or um, which way? It was, no, it was, it was one of the, I can't remember what it was. Um, no, it was one of the Republican debates in 2012. It was, I'm not watching the Republican debate. I'm out with my wife and kids. Uh, and we're not going to learn anything new. And one of my bosses at CNN reached out to me and he said, just, just, this is my personal advice. He says, no harm, no foul, but you as a pundit should never publicly say this, uh, because it is your business to care about these things. And if you're not going to watch, don't tell people you're not going to watch. And I thought, you know, I, I, I get the merit because I would inevitably be on TV the next day having to talk about it. And here I am on social media saying I didn't watch it. Uh, and of course, I would go back and, and watch the the relevant clips and everything to be able to react and respond. But I, I had no interest in watching it. There's a Democratic debate tonight, and I have no interest in watching it. And I have no interest in impeachment. And the media is upset that Americans don't care about it. You are being browbeaten by the American press corps for not actually caring about impeachment. Most of you do not care about impeachment. At this point, most of you think it's it's time to move on. Uh, here's Bar uh, Marsha Blackburn, senator from Tennessee. This really is impeachment with an asterisk. It is a failed strategy. It has been that way from the start because they said they were going to find something they were going to impeach him. And Nancy Pelosi has done nothing but dick herself further in the hole. I was thinking about that Randy Travis song, The Hole, today. You know, the deeper, deeper you go, you affect your futures. Uh, and that is exactly what she is doing. And I don't see where there is a win in this for her. I was in East Tennessee this weekend. People are sick and tired of this. They're saying, get on with the business of the USMCA. We're ready for China trade. We want to make certain that we're securing that southern border. Those are the questions that they're asking. It's true. Even among the Democrats, uh, there was polling of Democratic primary voters and impeachment was not in the top five issues they care about. The only people who care about impeachment are the media. And the media wants you to fixate on impeachment like they are. Uh, and the reason they want it, listen, at this point, it is a foregone conclusion that Donald Trump is not actually going to be convicted in an impeachment trial. 
And yes, a buddy of mine texting me. He thought that Marsha Blackburn said exactly what I thought she said. Some of you listened and you thought the same thing my buddy Britt and I thought that, that Marsha Blackburn said. She did not say that. She said digging a hole. <laughs> I thought it was just me. In any event, let's go to Mitch McConnell. The House ignored us at the time. They rushed ahead to meet a political timetable. But now they've spent almost a month conceding that their own case does not stand on its own and searching for ways to supplement it from the outside. This is exactly the kind of toxic new precedent that many of us warned about back in December. That Speaker Pelosi's House was not sending the Senate a thorough investigation. They were just tossing up a jump ball and hoping that the political winds might blow things their way. So here we are. The Senate was never going to pre-commit ourselves to redoing the prosecutor's homework for them, and we were never going to allow the Speaker of the House to dictate Senate proceedings to senators. House Democrats have already done enough damage to the president, to national unity, and to our institutions of government. The Senate will not be sucked into this precedent-breaking path. We will fulfill our We will fulfill our constitutional duty. We will honor the reason for which the founders created this body to ensure our institutions and our republic can rise above short-term factional fever. The House has done enough damage. The Senate is ready to fulfill our duty. (laughs) Well, part of the problem for the Republicans, and this is why the media really cares, is because they're hoping that there will be a wild card. They're hoping there will be some level of unpredictability because you do have some Republicans like Cory Gardner and Susan Collins who are in tough re-election fights, who may want to stand up and defy Mitch McConnell. Uh, Nothing happens in the Senate that surprises Mitch McConnell at this point. As someone who regularly fought him uh, and was regularly beaten by him, McConnell plays the Senate well, and he's willing to give wide latitude to people like Gardner and Collins to keep them happy and keep them looking independent so that they can get reelected, uh, which plays to this point by Senator Menendez. A, a number of Republican senators indicated today that they were not in favor of a motion to dismiss impeachment, with one Republican saying there's almost no interest among all Republicans to do that. We also heard Senator Romney say he wants witnesses to be called at the trial. Do you think those are, are bri- actual breaks in Republican ranks or just, you know, moderate Republicans kind of giving themselves a little wiggle room? I think they're listening, hopefully, to the polls where two-thirds of all of the American people want to see, for example, uh, uh, former National Security Advisor Ambassador Bolton testify. People like the President's Chief of Staff, Mulvaney, testify. And there's a difference between wanting to hear from them. They can guarantee by voting to have witnesses, uh, a small but very definite number of witnesses that can shed real light on what transpired here so we can come to an honest uh, decision, uh, would be critical. They have the power in their hands. Either we will get witnesses because Republicans who are being patriots and not partisans will join us to have witnesses. And if we don't have witnesses, it will be because Republicans wanted a whitewash and not a real transparent trial. But here's the problem with the witness argument is the House of Representatives could have called more witnesses and they chose not to. And do the Democrats really want to go down this road? Because Rand Paul is pointing out that if you call witnesses and the witnesses aren't the witnesses who testified in the House, 
then Republicans get to call witnesses too. The president's going to have a fair trial. The president's going to get due process. The president's going to be allowed to call witnesses as well. And one of those witnesses may have the last name Biden. And by the way, uh, Quinnipiac polling is out. It shows that uh, 57% of Americans approve of the president's handling of the economy and 75% of Americans want Hunter or Joe Biden to testify in the impeachment trial. A majority of Democrats, a majority of Republicans, and a majority of independents all want the Bidens to be witnesses in the president's impeachment trial. Over to you, Adam Schiff. But if, I don't it, is think, a, if I, it is a fair I, trial, though, you could very well see the case where the Bidens would have to be there. Yes. You think that is a good thing politically? You think that's a good thing for impeachment as a whole? I think what the senators would have to evaluate is, do the Bidens have any relevant testimony? And I think the answer is that they don't. What is at issue here is whether the president withheld military aid, withheld official acts like a White House meeting in order to coerce a country to announce investigations, not even conduct them but just announce them to help smear his opponent. Uh, and there's not much light that Joe Biden or Hunter Biden can shed on the president's conduct. Yeah, right. Um, let's just let, let's say that uh, Joe and Hunter Biden, and in particular Hunter Biden's dealings in uh, Ukraine, provide the president some level of alibi as to why he was engaging in Ukraine. The president claims that he was purely interested in the Democrats having covered up corruption by Hunter Biden. And the president claims he wanted to ensure that Ukraine was properly investigating corruption that related to Hunter Biden. Now, I don't think you should have done it. Had the president listened to his advisors and not done it? I mean, you know, this this is kind of the funny thing about this presidency. Had the president listened to his advisors and not fired James Comey, uh, we would have never had the independent counsel investigation. Had the president listened to his advisors and not raised the issue with uh, Ukraine, we would not be in the midst of impeachment right now. Had the president listened to his advisors. But he didn't, and he did it, and now here we are. But the president's argument is that uh, the Bidens were deeply corrupt and uh, Joe Biden turned a blind eye to his son's corruption and on and on it goes. And so he decided he had to ask Ukraine's president about it. That means that the president does have a reasonable basis to have the Bidens called up in the impeachment trial to probe uh, Hunter Biden's corruption with Burisma in Ukraine. Why? Because, specifically, Hunter Biden was not qualified to be on that board. Hunter Biden had no business being on that board. His father had business related to Ukraine while he was on that board, and the president wants to establish that. Uh, there actually is a lot of evidence out there in the polling that suggests that voters in particular are not happy with the idea that Joe Biden's family profited off Joe Biden being in government. Say what you will about Donald Trump, and the left hates it when I point this out, but the fact is his family made a lot of money before he ever got into the White House. Joe Biden's family made no money until he was 
in government. In fact, that's all Joe Biden's ever done in government. And guess what? Uh, the rest of the family went into government and they did quite well in lobbying and outside groups. That's a problem for Joe Biden. It is a problem because the American public does not like people to get enriched while being in government service. That is why the Democrats keep attacking Donald Trump for the Trump Hotel and all the Trump land deals. There's a deep level of irony here that the Democrats uh, browbeat Donald Trump over the Trump Hotel in Washington and, and tried to send the G7 summit to the Trump golf course and all these other things. And they're like, pay no attention to, to Joe Biden's family uh, doing all this business with companies and countries that Joe Biden was dealing with as vice president. Pay no attention to that. Look at the Trumps. And the Trumps are like, hey, we had our billion dollars before we even got here. They didn't have it until his dad became vice president. That actually is an Achilles heel for the uh, for the Biden team, because as much as they've tried to make this about uh, Trump's family benefiting off Trump being in office, Joe Biden's family benefited by Joe Biden being in office in ways Donald Trump's family didn't have to. And that's that's not a partisan point. It's not running interference for Trump to say that it's actually the truth. So if we get to impeachment See, the media thinks it's going to be some sort of ratings bonanza. You know, Brian Settler on CNN is going to be running headlines about how many people have um, have gotten uh, the ratings for CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and how well they're going to be. And then they're going to attack Fox News for how Fox covered stuff that CNN and MSNBC didn't cover in a way they would never do to MSNBC. Uh, and they're hoping for ratings bonanza. And, you know, there will be a lot of partisans on the left who do watch. And there will be a ratings field day on it. But most Americans still don't care about it. Most Americans still want to deal with this at the ballot box. And I think the media at this point is more and more, pre you know, there's a, one day I, I need to, I've spent a lot of time in the last several weeks uh, pointing out stuff in the media. Like for example, the New York times says that the president uh, decided to kill Soleimani because it was in a list of options and the military put it in there to make it the most radical one so that he wouldn't do it. And then he chose it. And now NBC news directly contradicts the New York times by saying seven months ago, Pompeo and Bolton wanted the president to do it. And he deferred it until now um, it, it directly contradicting each other. Meanwhile, they're all trying to say, the president's contradicting himself. The only constant in any of this is that the president's team has all been consistent saying that there was an imminent threat from Soleimani and they had to take him out to disrupt the planning for the imminent attack. Meanwhile, the media is going in multiple directions. I could do an entire show on how the media is trying to make you care about stuff from global warming to impeachment to Soleimani and every, every angle they take is anti-Trump. I, I mean, I could do an entire week's worth of shows on that. But in the here and now, impeachment is coming. There's going to be a trial. The articles of impeachment are supposed to go over today. They're going to announce impeachment managers from the House of Representatives later today. And nobody cares except the media. And they're going to do their best over the next several weeks to try to make you care passionately about it. And then they're going to tell you you're a bunch of morons for not caring about it when no one cares about it except the members of the press who think it's going to be a ratings bonanza and they're going to be able to pontificate on TV. 
The phone lines are open. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Our Action Center is also open, uh, letting you reach out to your member of the General Assembly to tell them to push David Ralston out of office, to support uh, David Clark, state representative, good, solid, conservative Republican, has the resolution. Uh, They have 10 people on it so far to uh, get David Ralston out of the speaker's chair to protect the GOP in 2020 and neutralize Democratic attacks. Uh, Ralston is a corrupting influence in the state house. If you want to lend your voice to tell your state representative to take a stand against him, text the word speaker to 52886. Text the word speaker to 52886. Uh, Stand with conservatives who are willing to take a stand against David Ralston. Uh, A lot of the squishy Republicans in the state legislature refuse to actually take on Ralston, not because they particularly care for him. They're actually kind of scared of him, uh, but they don't understand the whole concept of strength in numbers, and they're afraid of getting punished along the way. So they won't stand up to Ralston, and somebody's got to stand up to Ralston, or the Democrats are going to use Ralston and his uh, unethical antics as a way to beat the Republicans next year so they can be the ones to draw the redistricting maps. Somebody needs to take a stand. And I encourage my listeners to take it. I make it as, listen, you people complain, you, you, you moan all the time that, that you can't do anything, you can't have an impact, that nobody listens to you. I make it as easy as possible. As easy as possible. All you have to do is pick up your cell phone. And text the number 52886, 52886. And all the only word that you text to 52886 is the word speaker. And the action center goes into effect. It generates a, it'll ask you, send you a link. It'll, you'll click the link. It'll say, what's your zip code? You'll click your zip code and boom, uh, you will be, you'll start generating uh, an email to your state representative. It'll even connect you to the state house switchboard and you can, it'll say, I'm going to, you'll hear my voice even. I'm going to connect you now to your state representative. Here's what you need to tell them. It's actually a really awesome system. You should actually do it just to actually try it and see that it's working right now. Uh, text the word speaker to 52886. Become a conservative activist. Uh, stop complaining that uh, the legislature sucks. Stop complaining that the speaker of the house sucks and actually fire it up. Fire it up. Now, what is this? Um... <laughs> I'm being trolled by a friend of mine. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Now, uh, we need to move on to other stuff. Uh, we'll get back to the legislature here in a little while because they are meeting in Atlanta and, and they are looking at uh, shaping up some of the new rules. Uh, it turns out, and you may not hear this a lot in the media, but it turns out that the president's border wall Axios is reporting is a win. It's actually a win. So, you know, the, the media has been pushing this story that the president wasn't getting new border wall, that he was just replacing existing border wall. A Washington Post reporter who lives along the border has actually done this very long Twitter thread that captured the attention of the um it captured the attention of the rest of the press corps and he's put up a bunch of pictures and showing that 
the old border wall was essentially railroad ties that just blocked cars and they didn't block people. And the new Trump border wall is blocking people. Let me read you some stuff from Axios this morning as a result of that Twitter thread. The number of attempted border crossings is falling and the denial rates are climbing. The very nations most immigrants flee from are now the nations where asylum seekers are being sent. Over the past few months, the Trump administration has begun implementing its asylum agreements with Central American nations, which could help keep asylum seekers out of the U.S. They're sending Hondurans to Guatemala, the original state for the highest number of migrants who reached the U.S. Officials could begin kicking Mexican, Central American, and South American asylum seekers to Honduras or El Salvador, even if they're not from there, once the details of those agreements are worked out and put in motion. The final details of the Honduras agreement will be implemented soon. The Honduran foreign relations minister has said the country agreed to accept migrants from Mexico, Brazil, Nicaragua, Guatemala, and El Salvador. The administration plans to remove Mexican asylum seekers to Guatemala. More than 50,000 Central American asylum seekers are already being forced to wait out their legal cases in Mexico. And then the wall reinforcements have prevented people from crossing the border. You didn't hear that in the media because they don't want you to know it's actually been a success. 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I got to tell my, my friend Drew Ryan to stop texting me during the show. And when we come back, the legislature, they're meeting in Atlanta. Okay, a quick timeout for a new sponsor I'm actually excited about, but it's confession time in the process of me being excited about the sponsor. So, you know, after all the lung stuff I had several years ago, it took me a long time before I was cleared to actually go back and do serious exercise at the gym. And I finally decided to go back to CrossFit about three months ago. Now, I've been paying for the private lessons instead of going to the open hours uh, because I don't want anybody to see my fat behind working out right now uh, as I'm doing burpees and uh, double unders and all the other awful stuff. Uh, but I'm only going three days a week cause it's expensive to do the private stuff. I gotta have to do something at home cause I got a couple of days a week where I gotta be burning calories when I'm not doing it. And I was really thinking about the Peloton option, but I don't want to pay a ton for Peloton and it's expensive. Well, I discovered Echelon and now I'm really actually pleased that Echelon is a sponsor of the show. It's a live and on-demand studio classes in your home. You can use your iPad. Uh, you can put them on your fitness bike. You can put them on, uh, they've got them on the Apple TV or, or your TV. You can stream it. You can get them on your iPad. They've even got one of the mirror options where you can do the exercises in the mirror. Join hundreds of thousands of people, myself included now, uh, getting fit with Echelon. You don't have to pay a ton for Peloton. You can get an Echelon bike today for under $1,000. So go to echelonfit.com slash Eric. Learn about their limited time, free Apple iPad, and complete details of the exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. Make the most of it, and don't go broke doing it. That's E-E-E-C-H-E-L-O-N, E-C-H-E-L-O-N, fit.com slash Eric, echelonfit.com slash Eric. Y'all, I'm if I can do it, you can do it. It's great, and we'll get in shape together. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, 
877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. This hour of the program, sponsored by Dynamic Money. Chris Burns, he fills in for me. You might have heard of him. Uh, he's also my wife's and my financial guy. Uh, we, instead of going the Dave Ramsey route, we went the Chris Burns route, uh, which he's local. He can, if you're, it doesn't matter if you're not in Atlanta, he can do, um, he can do FaceTime, he can do Skype, he can do Zoom, you name it. Um, he just wants to help you come up with a family budget, uh, get you out of debt. Uh, he can help you with retirement planning. Uh, he can do it all. He's not commissions-based. It is fee-based, uh, so he's not going to try to sell you a bunch of products. Um, he's just going to give you sound advice. He has certainly helped my wife and me. We are still going through the process with him. Uh, and it's just it's wonderful to finally get a, a good sense of paying off debts and building a game plan and, and all that. Um I just, I, I, I can't recommend him enough. If you need help, go to dynamicmoney.com. That's Chris's website, dynamicmoney.com. Thanks to Chris and Dynamic Money for sponsoring the website. If you are uh, in Georgia and you, like me, are appalled that the Republicans in the state house continue to prop up the Speaker of the House, uh, who continues to block conservative legislation, you need to text the word speaker to 52886. You should know that there is legislation in the state house. Uh, Ken Pullen, uh, let me let me find this legislation. I want to get the actual names of the sponsors to give them credit. Ken Pullen, Kevin Cook, Matt Gertler, Philip Singleton, Colton Moore, and Joseph Gullett uh, have come together to file HB 751. It's the Anti-Red Flag Second Amendment Conservation Act. Essentially, it would prohibit red flag laws in Georgia, and it would uh, create a felony where if any state or local government employee tries to enforce a federal red flag injunction to take someone's firearms, uh, it would be a felony. And, of course, the Speaker is pledging to block, yet again, a, a good pro-Second Amendment piece of legislation, uh, which is another reason to text Speaker to 52886 and tell your state legislator to get rid of David Ralston. There's a resolution filed uh, to get David Ralston. Ten Republicans have signed it. Uh, they need many more Republicans to sign it. So tell your state rep to sign on to David Clark's resolution by texting Speaker to 52886. Now, I'm going to go to Barry. Uh, Colin, Barry, welcome to the program. How are you, Eric? How about them Tigers? Oh, man. You know, and I, I couldn't watch the game because every time I did, something bad happened. I had to turn it off so they'd win. Oh, I, uh, I had trouble right up until the time the game was over. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, listen, I, I realize that God is sovereign, but I really think God was telling me not to watch the game so they'd win. <laughs> See, uh, well, unlike you... I spent my time on that campus as a student. Oh, well, there you go. There you go. So I I, I feel for you. <laughs> I know how you miss it. Yes, indeed. Anyhow, what I called about, oh, it, it takes off from uh, something uh, Senator Cruz said, Senator from Texas. Yes, sir. That nobody follow, seems to follow. I haven't heard anybody follow up on it. It's this. Senator Cruz points out that the allegations in the articles of impeachment do not accuse the president or charge the president with committing a high crime or misdemeanor. So the first task, of course, is the Senate needs to rule on the seminal issue. Do they have subject matter jurisdiction, constitutional Mm -hmm. subject matter jurisdiction? It's got to be a high crime or misdemeanor or bribery or the other two don't play any part. 
Well, if there's no subject matter jurisdiction and they rule there's no subject matter jurisdiction or, or vote and agree that the articles of impeachment don't allege any uh, high crime or misdemeanor committed by the president, then the testimony of both and what's the attorney, the president's attorney's name starts with an M. Um, any, yeah, yeah, I, 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 can't, not, uh, I can't remember. I know who you're talking about, but yeah. Yeah. Then their testimony is not, it uh, can't be heard because, because it must, their testimony must be limited to the allegations in the petition. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, in the, in the articles of impeachment, excuse me. And, and so <laughs> they can't be heard because the issue can't be tried by the Senate. The Senate's only got constitutional subject matter jurisdiction over whether the president of the United States committed a high crime or misdemeanor. And if they rule, and they should rule from the beginning, settle the seminal issue, does the Senate have subject matter jurisdiction? Right. Well, uh, you're, you're right, uh, Barry. You're, you're absolutely right on that. And, and thank you for the call. And, and yes, go Tigers. You're right. And uh, there is an issue there with subject matter jurisdiction of the Senate. The, the problem is, and Senator Cruz is right uh, on in merit. The problem is that the Senate is a political institution, and because it's a political institution, the Senate uh, is allowed to say it does have subject matter jurisdiction merely by proceeding. And the rules of the Senate actually say that they cannot automatically dismiss. Uh, That's uh, Mitch McConnell. And uh, what's his name? Uh, Josh Howley of Missouri were going to introduce a rules change to the Senate to allow an automatic dismissal because under the rules of the Senate, as they currently exist, you can't get an automatic dismissal, even for subject matter jurisdiction. You actually have to proceed into a trial and make all those motions on the merits. And in the Senate, there's no one to appeal to. That's what people seem to miss here. Uh, And Cruz mentioned that as to why they should go down this road and they're not going to because in a normal setting in the judiciary, uh, there would be you could have an appeal on subject matter jurisdiction. Now, for those of you who don't know what subject matter jurisdiction is, it's a legal term here. Uh, you've got to have the power to hear the case, to hear the subject. So, for example, um, you're in Georgia, and someone steals something from you, and you decide, forget the criminal charges, you're going to sue them. Where do you sue someone for you live in, in, let's say you live in Tolliver County and they live in Tolliver County and you sue them for taking your stuff? Where do you sue them? You can't sue in federal court. Why? Because federal court doesn't have subject matter jurisdiction over an improper taking inside a county in Georgia. There's no power within the federal government to hear that case. you got to hear it in state court. Uh, the only way you could hear it in federal court is if you were a uh, Georgia citizen and they were a Texas citizen, then they could move the case from Tolliver County Court, the, the Texas citizen could, into federal court uh, to protect them. But you got to have subject matter jurisdiction, and, and the Senate's got to have subject matter jurisdiction and impeachment. The problem is uh, when the Senate gets this under the rules of the Senate, because these arguments have never been made, they're only but this will be what the third presidential impeachment. There's never been a subject matter jurisdiction argument made, and so the rules of the Senate don't contemplate them. The rules of the Senate require an immediate trial. 
So we're never going to get to that stage. You know, we're, we're actually we're dealing with a lot of procedural hypotheticals here. Barry is absolutely right on the issue. And so is Ted Cruz. But the rules of the Senate don't contemplate these things, and the rules of the Senate are far more important here than the jurisdictional issues because there's no one to appeal. There's no one to appeal. So if the Senate doesn't want to deal with subject matter jurisdiction, there's no one to go to and argue the case. It's got to be argued to the colleagues of the Senate. Uh, there's this There's this weird, uh, the media's been saying these guys are jurors. They're not really jurors. They're senators. You know, Kelly Leffler, the new senator from Georgia, had this thrown in her face the other day. Someone told her, uh, someone asked her, a hostile questioner asked her, why was she coming out saying she supported the president when she was supposed to be a juror? And she said that her title was not juror. Her title was senator. Shut him down quickly. Good for her good response um this it's it's going to be a messy messy situation um but you know what may actually even be a messier situation bernie sanders versus elizabeth warren he's in the big game now uh to quote peter dinklage from game of thrones uh, senator sanders is now leading in a lot of polls and as a result senator sanders is now the bad guy and the opposition research is coming fast and furious against senator sanders his team is having a hard time keeping up uh here's the latest from cnn now four sources tell cnn that bernie sanders responded to elizabeth warren by saying he does not believe that a woman can win uh now we are also told that uh, sanders expressed some frustration uh, about the role of identity politics uh for Democrats and also that Elizabeth Warren disagreed uh, with Sanders' assessment that a woman could not win. Uh, now, the Warren campaign did not comment uh, in response to this story, but Bernie Sanders has just sent this statement to CNN. Uh, I will read it in full. He says, it is ludicrous to believe that at the same meeting where Elizabeth Warren told me she was going to run for president, I would tell her that a woman couldn't win. It's sad that three weeks before the Iowa caucus and a year after that private conversation, staff who weren't in the room are lying about what happened. What I did say that night was that Donald Trump is a sexist, a racist, and a liar who would weaponize whatever he could. Do I believe a woman can win in 2020? Of course. After all, Hillary Clinton beat Donald Trump by three million votes in 2016. So, Brianna, not only is Bernie Sanders aggressively pushing back, he is now accusing the Warren campaign of lying. Yeah, he's accusing. You know who the source for the story was, by the way? Elizabeth Warren. That's come out now. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, turns out she herself is the source for the story and you got a lot of people out there suddenly willing to go on the war path uh here's anna kasperi and she actually is affiliated with the sanders campaign she's on cnn listen to this this entire situation is so incredibly disappointing and also incredibly stupid because in shutting down the conversation and saying that she refuses to talk about it any further there are questions that need to be asked what was the context of the discussion? Was he talking about it in the context of where the country is right now? And also, I would love to see anyone in the media hold Joe Biden accountable for literally saying the exact same thing 
publicly. No criticism, no backlash, none. And we also need to mention that Bernie Sanders encouraged Elizabeth Warren to run back in 2016. And there are multiple videos of Bernie Sanders dating back to the 1980s where he publicly spoke about how he believes a woman can win. And so all of this contextual information is incredibly important to the conversation. And unfortunately, it's being left out to paint a particular candidate as some sort of sexist yep. when the facts just don't bear that out. Yikes. Here's Chris Cuomo. All right, here's the latest. Elizabeth Warren now commenting on allegations from four sources about what Bernie Sanders supposedly told her in a private meeting in 2018. Here's the quote. Bernie and I met for more than two hours in December 2018. Among the topics that came up was what would happen if Democrats nominated a female candidate. I thought a woman could win. He disagreed. I have no interest in discussing this private meeting any further because Bernie and I have far more in common than our differences. Note to self, if you don't want to talk about it, then you should have never put Ouch. out the statement. If Bernie Sanders doesn't want to talk about it, he should have never denied it. Now you've got competing allegations. Somebody's not telling the truth. All right. Here's Bernie Sanders side of it. Quote, it is ludicrous to believe that at the same meeting where Elizabeth Warren told me she was going to run for president, I would tell her that a woman couldn't win. Staff who weren't in the room are lying about what happened. Oh, here's the here's the situation. Elizabeth Warren, we now know, is the source for the story. And it went badly against Elizabeth Warren. You know, Elizabeth Warren has a pattern of lying and then, uh, can we say, um, <clears throat> going on the warpath? <laughs> How? Uh, Elizabeth Warren has a real pattern of doing this. She is a liar. Even her staff says she fudges a lot of facts. Uh, she's like a female Donald Trump, and uh, the Democrats are starting to have none of it. She's gone down to the polls. She needs to come back. So she throws Bernie Sanders under the bus with this story. It turns into a huge story, and Sanders points out that he's on video in 2016 saying she should run for president. And now all Elizabeth Warren can do is come out with the same say, I don't know. We don't want to talk about this anymore. She's the one who started it. She's the one who started it. That statement from her is the most passive-aggressive political statement I've read in years. She started this. This is not going well for Elizabeth Warren. She, it turns out she is a terrible candidate. She's a terrible candidate. And by the way, if you ever paid attention to Massachusetts politics, you would know this. She is deeply not liked in Massachusetts, and the only reason she keeps getting elected is because she's a Democrat. Massachusetts would rather her than a, than a Republican. But she's not popular. But the media in Washington and New York loves her and has never given uh, a fair picture of who she actually is. She is a, a, a person who exaggerates and it has continued to get her in trouble. And she she wants to play dirty and yet she can't. She's not very good at it. Uh, it's not within her to do it, and she tries, and it always blows up in her face. And I guess to some degree that maybe that's commendable that she's actually really bad at playing dirty. Um, but she is, and it has yet again uh, blown up in her face. Hey, if you are 
in Rome are, or you are in Macon, Warner Robins, the middle Georgia area, Gray, Perry down there, uh, and you're listening on our Rome affiliate or you're listening on our Maconville. And I just pulled up the map of people who are using our action center to tell their state reps to, um, to tell Ralston it's time to go home. And Rome and Macon are lagging behind, and this is important. And if you want to participate, text the word speaker to 52886. All you do, you pull out your cell phone, go to your text messaging app. The number you you send a message to is 52886. The word you send is speaker. Uh, Here's the reason why it's important. There are a lot of people in the metro Atlanta area, in Athens, even up in in Clarksville and and Jasper and Dalton who have been participating. And the reason it's important is because time and time again, you go to these guys in the state house and you say, listen, the speaker is a problem for you guys. And we need you to remove the speaker because the Democrats are going to use his scandals as a way to go after our swing district Republicans in November. And you need to be preemptive and take action and protect yourselves. And the feedback that I get and that others get and that even members of the House get is that this is only the metro Atlanta people care about it. And I've got a show in Metro Atlanta in the evenings, and and I've talked about it, and they do care about it, and they are engaged on the issue. And i got to get people outside of the Atlanta area to engage in the issue. So if you're in Rome or Dalton or Clarksville or Athens or Jasper or Vidalia, Valdosta, Adele, Cumming, or um, uh, Quitman, Bainbridge, if you're in Middle Georgia, Warner Robins, Perry, Macon, Gray, uh, Forsyth, uh, Roberta, wherever – you gotta you gotta engage with your local state representatives as well. Can't just be the Atlanta people doing it. It's got to be across the state of Georgia. It's one reason we continue to try to expand uh, this program. I, I'm I'm trying very hard to get us on in Statesboro and Douglas and uh, Greensboro and the like. Uh, but we got to have your help doing it. And if you're in Middle Georgia, you're in Rome, uh, you're in you're listening to me right now anywhere in the state of Georgia. Text the word speaker to 52886. This is going to be a big deal. We cannot afford, as as a conservative, as a Republican, I feel very strongly about letting the Democrats participate in redistricting. It would go badly for Republicans. And the only way to make that happen is to make sure Republicans take back the House. And the GOP needs to inoculate themselves from the scandals involving the speaker. And the best way to get them to do that is to make them realize across the state of Georgia, Republican primary voters want him out and they want a new conservative speaker. So text the word speaker to 52886, make it happen, get them to engage with you, tell them it's time for him to go. When we come back, it's time to do a deep dive into the legislature on seatbelts, guns, red flag laws, and more. You know, okay, I, I promised a deep dive. I want to, but there's news out I'm seeing circulated, and I, I want to deal with this first. I, you know, the way I do this show is I I sit down every morning and look at all the audio I want, and then kind of outline the show. And I'm going to do these topics in these particular hours, and I never actually. Uh, do the outline. I, I I always wind up going in a different direction, and here we are with the news of the day. Uh, that that's that's one reason. You know, if the, there's a complaint from some stations that 
they can't run the show because it's too timely and they want something they can run in the overnight hours. And by the time it gets to the overnight hours, the, the show is kind of stale. Also makes it hard for us to do best of shows here because there's so much uh, immediate current news. Well, here is some immediate current news to deal with. Russia, uh, the Russian government has hacked Burisma, the company in Ukraine that Hunter Biden was on the board for. Now, the media response immediately is so irresponsible. The media response immediately is that uh, this is clearly the Russians trying to help Donald Trump. They are so invested in the idea that the Russians collaborate with Donald Trump that they can't even realize what's going on. Yes, I'm going to tell you what's going on. Vladimir Putin is an agent of chaos. He wants other nations distracted and fighting amongst themselves so that he can maneuver and be left alone and ignored. Hacking Burisma is the perfect opportunity as we fire up impeachment in the United States. It suddenly gets leaked that Russia did this. The media and the Democrats pounce, the Republicans push back, and we're back to squabbling over the 2016 election all over again, ignoring everything else that's going on in the world. This is intentional on Vladimir Putin's part. He is an agent of chaos. He is an expert at inflaming paranoia on all sides. He has done this in Europe. He's done this in Asia. He's done this in uh, Central and South America. He's doing this in the United States right now. He is playing us. Uh, both sides are willfully uh, engaging with this paranoia because they hate each other so much and neither side wants to realize Vladimir Putin is playing each side against the other. And that's unfortunate. Now, the phone number here, if you want to be a part of the program, uh, my call screener is back from hog hunting and he is taking your phone calls at 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. That's the phone number. And I want to move on to the state stuff. Uh, out of order, I was going to wait, uh, but I'm going to do it now. And I want to begin with this legislation in the House of Representatives, the Anti-Red Flag Second Amendment Conservation Act, the sponsors of the legislation. Let me actually get, um, I want to get where everybody is. Uh, Ken Pullen, who is, is from Zebulon, the, the Thomaston area. You got Philip Singleton uh, in Sharpsburg. He represents the Noonan Peachtree City area. You've got Kevin Cook from the Carrollton area, Carroll County. You've got Colton Moore from up in Trenton. You got Matt Gertler from Tiger, Georgia. You got Joseph Gullett. He is from Dallas, Georgia. And they are the sponsors a bill to be entitled an act to amend code section 1611-173 of the official code of Georgia annotated related to legislative findings, preemption of local regulation and lawsuits and exceptions so as to occupy and preempt the entire field of legislation in the state involving extreme risk protection orders to protect for or to provide for a definition to prohibit the enforcement of federal and other extreme risk protection orders in the state to provide for a criminal offense to provide for a short title to provide for legislative findings, to provide for legislative matters, to repeal conflicting law and for other purposes. If you're not asleep after all that, what does this legislation actually do? What this legislation would do, they're calling it the Anti-Red Flag Second Amendment Conservation Act. 
Let me just read you some of the whereas clauses. The General Assembly finds that the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States reads a well-regulated militia being necessary to secure to the security of free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. The Fourth Amendment provides for the right of people to be secure in their persons, homes, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures. The Fifth Amendment says no person shall be held to answer for a, a crime unless before a jury. Red flag legislation has been introduced in the House of Representatives, uh, and it violates the Second, Fourth, and Fifth Amendments. It is the responsibility of the General Assembly to protect the people of Georgia from unconstitutional legislation. And so what this would do is it would define what an extreme risk protection order is, and it would be defined as an executive order or written order or warrant issued by a federal or state court or signed by a judge or comparable officer for which the primary purpose is to reduce the risk of firearm-related death or injury by doing one of the following, prohibiting an individual from having his or her custody or control and ownership possession of a, or receipt of a firearm, or removing a firearm or requiring the surrender of firearms from a named individual without due process of law. Essentially, what this legislation does is it says there will be no red flag laws in Georgia. A red flag law, if you don't know what a red flag law is, a red flag law, or it is the trendy law in the nation where someone can go to court and say this person's a danger to himself or others, take their guns away. And the court would immediately take their guns away and then have a hearing on whether or not they should have taken the guns away, as opposed to having a hearing on whether or not to take the guns away first. Uh, and their argument, and they've got a good constitutional argument, is that uh, the Second Amendment is a constitutional right. There is no constitutional right in the United States that can be taken away by a court of law without a due process hearing. But what red flag laws attempt to do is to take away the constitutional right to keep and bear arms without a due process hearing and then have a due process hearing on whether or not the, the gun should have been taken away. Now, I am sympathetic to the idea that there are people who might harm themselves or others. Domestic abuse is a terrible situation in this and other states. But whether you like it or not, beyond the emotion of it, the Second Amendment is a constitutional right. You individually, constitutionally, have the right to keep and bear arms. And it is well-settled constitutional precedent that your rights, your constitutional rights, cannot be taken away from you without a due process hearing. And red flag laws attempt to undermine that. And you've got liberal judges who are willing to carve out exceptions for the Second Amendment that they would never carve out for even an abortion, which you can't even find in the Constitution. And so what uh, these members of the legislature, again, it is uh, State Representatives Ken Pullen, Kevin Cook, Matt Gertler, Philip Singleton, Colton Moore, and Joseph Gullett, they want to pass a law that says uh, no red flag law can be implemented in Georgia, but they want to go beyond that. What they also want to do is say any red flag injunction, any red flag order in the state of Georgia uh, issued by a federal agency or a federal court will not be honored by state and local law enforcement. Because of federalism in this country, the federal government is not allowed to recruit um, state and local officials to enforce federal law. 
the federal typically local and state officials do participate with the federal government in enforcing federal law. But they don't have to. And sometimes they flat out don't. This is one of the issues with sanctuary cities in California and elsewhere where local officials are prohibited from helping the federal government comply with immigration law. What this law would essentially do is create a sanctuary state for the Second Amendment. It would say that uh, state and local authorities are not allowed to help the federal government enforce red flag injunctions if a federal court issues it or if a court from another state issues it. Uh, No state or local employee, no state or local police officer would be allowed to help them enforce it. It would be a felony. It would be a crime against the police officer if the Georgia police officer tried to take someone's gun away without a due process hearing. I'm okay with this. It is already being called the the Domestic Abuser Protection Act. You, You should understand that. Uh, And of course, that's what they're going to call it because they want to make it an emotional issue and they don't want to think about the constitutional issue. But we need to think about the constitutional issue. Can anyone here, you can call me 877-973-7425. Can anyone think of a constitutional right that a judge can take away from you without a due process hearing. I'm not aware of a constitutional right that can be taken from you without first having a due process hearing. A red flag law attempts to take away a constitutional right and then have a due process hearing on whether or not you should have. And I think that's wrong on the merits and on the law and on the Constitution. And so I'm okay with this legislation, and I think you should be too. Now, here's the problem. This is one of those things that David Ralston, the Speaker of the House, is pledging to stop because David Ralston thinks it'll be used against the Republicans. David Ralston does not think the Democrats will use David Ralston's scandals against the Republicans. He thinks the Democrats will use the Second Amendment uh, protecting the Second Amendment against the GOP. What 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 sort of person do you have to be to think that in Georgia, uh, protecting people's Second Amendment rights is gonna gonna harm people? But he's he's trying to find something, and he particularly doesn't like it because most of the people who have signed this resolution or signed this legislation and sponsored this legislation have also signed on to David Clark's resolution to call for the ouster of the Speaker. So it's not just that the Speaker of the House doesn't want to protect the Second Amendment. He also wants to punish all the people who signed the resolution calling for his ouster. That's another reason for you to text the word Speaker to 52886 and tell your state representative to oust the Speaker of the House. Because the Speaker of the House is one of the chief impediments to Second Amendment legislation in Georgia. Now that Nathan Deal is not there to veto stuff, our Speaker of the House in Georgia, a purported Republican from Blue Ridge, Georgia, is the chief obstacle to getting Second Amendment rights secured in Georgia. If you're a supporter of the Second Amendment, you should want the Speaker out. Uh, And so text the word Speaker to 52886. There's other legislation that's got the media all fired. And I've I've got a... I've got to guess that this is a, a, a PR effort, and I don't know what the group is that's doing a PR effort, but it is very clearly a PR effort. Uh, 
because there's a really, really big uh, group out there, a lobbying group trying to make the case that we need a law in the state of Georgia that people in the backseat of a car need to be buckled up. I buckle up my kids in the backseat and the, the law in Georgia is if you're under 18 and you're in the backseat, you got to be buckled up. I buckle up my kids. I buckle up when I'm in the backseat. If I'm in Atlanta and get an Uber or I'm in Savannah and get an Uber or, or, or Athens and, and I'm in the back of a car, I always buckle up. I buckle up because I don't like slipping and sliding around in the backseat of a car. I, I buckle up and stay secure. Now, oftentimes CNN, if I'm on CNN, they'll send a driver to my house so I don't have to drive. I can work and, and uh, they'll drive me up to CNN and then take me home afterwards. I wear my seatbelt the whole way. It, it's safe. But I don't know why we need nanny state laws in the state of Georgia to mandate that you have to wear your seatbelt. I, I just, I'm sorry. I realize it's common sense. But if we have to legislate common sense, we got bigger problems than common sense. The speaker and the lieutenant governor are rather lukewarm on the whole idea of, um, of the seatbelt law. And I don't know that it'll pass, but man, it is an orchestrated effort out there. You can tell it's an orchestrated effort because the Atlanta journal constitution, as the legislature's coming back into session has done multiple stories on the need for the seatbelt law in the backseat of vehicles. I just don't understand why I, I, I genuinely don't understand uh, why on earth we need to do this. So, I am, I'm hoping that the legislature will kill it in large part because I see no reason for nanny state activism on the, on the seatbelt issue. One last thing before I go to break, one last thing. Uh, Chuck Huffsettler, those of you up in Rome know Chuck Huffsettler. He's in the state Senate up there. He's got legislation to... Uh, require internet companies to uh, charge you sales tax and hand it over. He's getting a bad rap on this. I, I'm not a fan of the internet sales tax, uh, but I think the Chuck Huffsettler needs to be defended here because he's getting attacked, I think, unfairly here. His legislation is not actually about requiring online sites to charge you sales tax. Online sites are now charging you sales tax. If you go to Amazon anywhere in the state of Georgia, and you buy something on Amazon, you're going to get charged a sales tax. If you go to walmart.com in Georgia and you buy something, you're going to get charged sales tax. You go to parterybarn.com in Georgia and buy something, you're going to get charged sales tax. But there's a catch. Many of these online retailers are charging you the sales tax for the state of Georgia and you're paying them the sales tax and they're not actually sending it to the state of Georgia. You heard me. You're getting charged the sales tax when you go online and shop. But the companies aren't actually mailing that money to the state. Now, they're not using it. It's against the law. They're not allowed to use it. But they're keeping it in accounts, and those accounts can bear interest, and they can use the interest, and they're not sending the money to the state. So Chuck Huffsettler has legislation that would compel these companies to hand over the money or else. And with revenue flat in Georgia... You're already paying the money. It's not like you're going to be out more money. You're already paying it. 
I don't have a problem with this, and I think he's getting unfairly beaten up for doing something that's just plain common sense, and he should be applauded for taking the efforts. And you know, the good news for him as well, tax revenue has rebounded in December. It was uh, down in November and October. Tax revenue has rebounded in the state of Georgia. That's good for all of us. It'll help him make the legislature's job a little bit easier as they try to come up with ways to cut some money out of the budget. Yes, the phone lines are open, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. We're actually taking your calls because my call screener is not killing hogs today. Uh, you know, for, for a Montanan, he, he sure did come down here and embraces in a redneck. He didn't even know he had, <laughs> um, the, the, the real quick, the movie 1917, uh, my, this hour is sponsored by dynamic money and Chris Burns, who sucks because he went to see 1917 without me after calling in last week to do an interview. And he's like, Hey, are we going to go see 1917? It's like, yes, I'm headed to Atlanta this week. We're going to go see it this week. And then on, on Monday, he said, or on Sunday, I'm on his show and he says, yeah, man, I already saw 1917 without you sucks. Um, I'm going to go see it by myself. Uh, when I'm in Atlanta this week, on Thursday afternoon, I am interviewing Governor Kemp. He'll have given his State of the State address. We're going to sit down for an hour-long interview, and I'm going to bring that to you on Friday morning on this program. Uh, it'll be an exclusive interview with the governor. And, you know, I got I got to tell you, the governor's office reached out to a bunch of media outlets uh, trying to schedule some short interviews for the governor before the State of the State address. And... Uh, I told him, look, you're, you're very gracious to me. You come on about once a month on this program. There are plenty of people in the media who have bigger egos that need to be stroked, so don't worry about it. Uh, we, we can deal with it some other time. And they appreciated it, and then they circled back after it was all over and said, hey, would you like to sit down for an, an hour for a big exclusive with the governor? And I said, yes, as a matter of fact, I would love to do that. And so we are. On Thursday afternoon, I will bring it to you on Friday morning, uh, which will be awesome. Um, I'm going to go to his office and do the recording and all that sort of stuff. Now, 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 uh, I gotta, I gotta tell you the story cause this will make you laugh. Apparently they need to change the name 24 hour fitness. They've got 24 hour fitness gyms all over the place. And I actually like a 24-hour fitness gym. There's one near me. Well, there was one near me. So there's a place near me. There's a gym near me. And it was they've got a chain of them. To, I'm not going to use the name. Um, and But they've got several of them. And some of them are 24 hours and some of them aren't. And I was in one. I paid to go to this one because it was 24 hours. And then they stopped being 24 hours. And I went in one night. My key card still worked. I was going to the gym and the housekeeper's there at like midnight saying, what are you doing here? I said, I'm, I'm working out. What do you think? And she says, well, it's not 24 hours. It was last week. And it let me in. And it made me mad. And I stopped going. Now I'm going to CrossFit. And that's fine. It, it kicks my butt. Um, I, I work harder at CrossFit than I ever worked at a regular gym. In any event, a man in Utah was in a 24-hour fitness gym. And that's the brand, 24-hour fitness. And they locked him in. He did not know that 24-hour fitness is no longer 24 hours, at least at this one in, in Sandy, Utah. From midnight to 4 a.m., they locked the doors. And they didn't tell him and they locked him in the gym. So this guy, Dan Hill, had been working late, missed his workout, decided to go late to the gym to get in the pool. And when he got out of the pool, got changed to head out, he was locked in, and he had to call 911 and tell them he didn't want to get charged with breaking and entering because he wasn't breaking in. He was trying to get out, and he was afraid if he unlocked the door and the alarm went off, they would arrest him. 
uh, poor guy. They, they have sent him an apology. Um, but you know, if you're called 24 hour fitness, you should be open for 24 hours. Uh, the FTC has something to say about that. And three of you, three of you people, one of you by text, two of you by email have already emailed to condemn me for joining the cult CrossFit. I get it. I thought it was a cult, but y'all it's so much more enjoyable than going to the standard gym. Now I hate box jumpers and jumps. And yesterday I had to do something like 80 burpees. It was awful but I did them and it's working. I've lost 10 pounds. I'm getting back in shape. Don't condemn me. My lungs are finally well enough for me to go to the gym and I am. So don't blame me. We'll be back. Okay. A quick timeout for a new sponsor. I'm actually excited about, but it's confession time in the process of me being excited about the sponsor. So, you know, after all the lung stuff I had several years ago, it took me a long time before I was cleared to actually go back and do serious exercise at the gym. And I finally, decided to go back to CrossFit about three months ago. Now, I've been paying for the private lessons instead of going to the open hours uh, because I don't want anybody to see my fat behind working out right now uh, as I'm doing burpees and uh, double unders and all the other awful stuff. Uh, but I'm only going three days a week because it's expensive to do the private stuff. I got to have to do something at home because I got a couple of days a week where I got to be burning calories when I'm not doing it. And I was really thinking about the Peloton option, but I don't want to pay a ton for Peloton and it's expensive. Well, I discovered Echelon and now I'm really actually pleased that Echelon is a sponsor of the show. It's a live and on-demand studio classes in your home. You can use your iPad. Uh, you can put them on your fitness bike. You can put them on, uh, they've got them on the Apple TV or, or your TV. You can stream it. You can get them on your iPad. They've even got one of the mirror options where you can do the exercises in the mirror. Join hundreds of thousands of people, myself included now, uh, getting fit with Echelon. You don't have to pay a ton for Peloton. You can get an Echelon bike today for under $1,000. So go to echelonfit.com slash Eric. Learn about their limited time, free Apple iPad, and complete details of the exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. Make the most of it, and don't go broke doing it. That's E-E-E-C-H-E-L-O-N, E-C-H-E-L-O-N, fit.com slash Eric, echelonfit.com slash Eric. Y'all, if I can do it, you can do it. It's great, and we'll get in shape together. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you want to call in and be a part of the program, you are more than welcome to. Now, I want to actually, Chris Burns, who I told him maybe I need to have him come on and talk about this since I just told everybody he sucks for seeing 1917 without me. He sent me the story. It's actually from December, uh, and it's actually a great reminder because I got this question from a listener yesterday in Atlanta, and it's the perfect way to actually segue back into this, which is something I wanted to talk about. And again, totally off what I was going to talk about. Uh, we can get to the Democrats later. This is actually more important. Uh, this is from uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and it's from December. Georgia's economic growth will slow dramatically next year as it runs into headwinds of international trade disputes, but the state should continue to add jobs, forecasters said Wednesday, and again, this is last month. 
Unemployment likely will tick up in 2020, but Georgia should see 21,000 new jobs, and Georgia should see about 21,000 new jobs, said Benjamin Ayers, dean of the University of Georgia's Terry College. That's less than one-third of the increase this year and a slower pace than the national average. We're impacted by the trade wars uh, more than the average state in the United States. We're not predicting a recession, but obviously the odds of recession are higher than have been in the past. Georgia ranks 11th in the country in imports and 7th in exports. Many of the state's largest companies are dependent on uh, national trade. Um, yes, I, sorry. Um, I'm, I'm trying to, to I, I'm, I'm trying to respond to people who knew I was going to talk about this now. Um, this, this explains, and, and I'm, it's relating with people in the governor's office right now. This explains why the governor wants cuts in the budget. If you'll bear with me, I, I got a, uh, there's a direct message. I'm very, I'm probably more accessible than I should. If y'all want to follow me, probably the best place to follow his Instagram. I'm not really political on Instagram. I put I, I cook a lot, and I am um, very willing to interact with people on Instagram. But I don't get political in in most of the pictures and whatnot. Uh, and I have a lot of people who direct message me on Instagram and Twitter. And the guy yesterday, after the show, said, "Why?" is the governor so concerned about cutting the budget when we're not in a recession? And the reason is because the governor has a lot of people around him who tell him that we may be headed in a recession. They don't really know. This is one of the points. uh, Last week I had Chris Burns on the show and and he made this point that the – The bull market we've had now for the last 18 years has been a really, really, really good bull market. And it is a bull market that is probably going to go away at some point because all bull markets go away. And 18 years is a really good run. And after 18 years, you start to think, you know, we do need to start preparing for the slowdown. No one knows when it's going to come. It may be five years from now. It may be next year. It may be next week. We don't know. But what we do know is that bull markets eventually will wind down and we'll have a bear market. And bear markets tend not to last as long as bull markets, we hope. Uh, But we got to prepare for it. And uh, several years ago, the uh, governor, Nathan Deal, allowed state agencies to start spending more money. And we never increased taxes. In fact, we did a tax cut. The tax cut was necessary to align our revenue after the federal tax cut back to where it should be to keep our baseline the same. Let me deviate on a tangent real quick and explain that. Uh, The federal government used to allow you to deduct uh, your, your state and local taxes. And that impacted your overall tax bill. And it benefited you at the state level. And the states now don't get that uh, state tax deduction. You, you don't get that state tax deduction on your federal income taxes. And overall, your income tax now goes up. And that was going to give Georgia a windfall in state tax revenue. And 
As a result, the Georgia legislature scaled back our income tax so that we it would become a revenue-neutral situation. The state would not get a windfall when the federal government adjusted its taxes. Some people say that was a tax cut. It wasn't really a tax cut. It was preventing a tax increase. There was no cut. It was just preventing a major tax increase on Georgia taxpayers. Well, if we know the state revenue is going to go into a decline, or at least we've got the University of Georgia's uh, business school saying the odds are that the revenue for the state is going to slow down in, in 2020 because Georgia is dependent on an export-import market. And it's not just the trade war. That's that's what the AJC said, but it's not just the trade war. It's also the rest of the world is in an economic slowdown right now. The United States, because our economy is the most robust in the world, has been able to ride a wave that other countries have not been able to ride in economic growth, even with the trade war situation with China, which now looks like it's going to resolve itself. But we're certainly in Georgia, because our state does so much in the export-import market, we're going to be affected more than states that are not as global as Georgia. The result is that in Georgia, we will see a revenue decline in the state, even though the state itself does not go into recession. Now, what the University of Georgia has said is that in South Georgia and Middle Georgia, there will be uh, recessionary effects. It's just that the metro Atlanta market will be growing so fast it will offset that. So the rest of the state will be in decline and the metro area will be increasing still, which will cover up the impacts on it. The governor needed to prepare because the spending in the state agencies had gone up and revenue in the state had not been commiserate with the increase in spending. No governor wants to raise taxes unless they're a Democrat. They're a Democrat. They'll try to raise taxes and say they're only going to raise taxes on the rich. Uh, But Brian Kemp does not want to raise taxes on people. And when you're in a situation where the revenue in the state is stagnant or declining, and Georgia's revenue, by the way, is is rather stagnant, and spending in state agencies continues to go up, well, the only way to, to rectify this, particularly when he's promised teachers more pay raise and he wants to deliver that, is to get other state agencies to cut. Now, what these state agencies did is they decided that they were going to cut personnel first, and the reason they did it was political. See, the agencies decided they were going to uh, shut down, they were going to sh- uh, lay off employees and make Brian Kemp look bad. And they essentially, the state agencies, the bureaucracies, were going to call the governor's bluff and say, hey, governor, if you're going to make us cut, the first thing we're going to cut is people because we don't want to cut our spending. And the governor went back and said, fine, lay off people. If you got to lay off people, lay off people. And he called them, they actually thought that these agencies, these bureaucracies, they really genuinely believed that if they told Governor Kemp they were going to have to lay off people, the governor would say, oh, my bad, Let, let's not do any spending cuts if that's going to mean you're going to cost cut, cut people. And what did the governor do instead? He said, yeah, okay, go on and cut people. But if you're going to cut people, you're going to cut from the top of the food chain down to the bottom, not from the bottom of the food chain down to the uh, up to the top which meant the very bureaucrats who had designed the layoffs were going to be the ones who would have to be laying themselves off because the governor said, okay, if you got to cut personnel, cut personnel, but you're going to start it at the top of the agency and you're going to work your way down instead of going from the bottom of the agency, working your way up. And so guess what? Miracle of miracles. These agencies found other money to cut instead of actually layoffs. This also gets us to the film tax credit issue in Georgia because the film tax credit, uh, one of the reasons that Lindsey Tippins and other want to deal with the film tax credit 
is because they believe that one of the reasons Georgia is having stagnant revenue, even though we're in an economically good time, is because we're giving too money, too much money to the film studios. That's one of the things they want to look at. Uh, and they don't know. That's Again, this is one reason I think they need to put it off for a year and let them decide. But Georgia, because of its tax structure and the way the government's been spending money and the way it's been doing tax credits, should have way more tax revenue right now than it actually does. And they're trying to figure that out. And the governor is trying to be proactive because this story, let me just put the timeline in perspective for you, please. Uh, This UGA report came out December 11th, 2019. When the governor was, uh, the week before the governor was sworn in, in 2018, the governor told me that they were expecting, he had been advised by the state agencies that that oversee this sort of stuff. He had been advised, again, we would have had this conversation in December of 2018, that the, the state was telling him that they should expect that within the next two to three years, revenue would decline, that by the time he was up for re-election, the state would see declining revenue. It didn't happen last year. Revenue was stagnant. And now the it, it, uh, Georgia's UGA is coming out. And they're saying, hey, we're still forecasting declining revenue for 2020. It would have been irresponsible of the governor to not prepare. What is irresponsible is the state agency saying they're not going to prepare. This is one reason Chuck Huffsettler up in in Rome has this legislation to require that these internet companies hand over tax revenue. There are a lot of reasons Georgia's tax revenue is stagnant. It really, people are blaming the film tax credit, and that may be part of it. There are a lot of other tax credits out there. Remember, the state gave Delta a huge tax credit. Uh, But one of the other issues is that there's money the state should be getting, and it's simply not getting it because of the um, internet companies not handing over the sales tax. They put it in an interest-bearing account. They're allowed to use the interest, and they never actually hand over the sales tax. That's a problem. I, I want to play this clip for you. This is Eugene Scalia. That, that is Antonin Scalia's son. He's the new labor secretary. This is worth pointing out because it plays into this overarching narrative of the economic decline and situation in Georgia. Just you know, one data point is uh, during the Obama administration, the uh, faster wage gains were among the top 10% of earners. Uh, we've flipped that now. The fastest wage gains are among the bottom 10%. And when you look at a number of different measures of how the economy is doing, it's some people who had less opportunity historically who are some of the really big beneficiaries right now. Yeah, it's true. Uh, wages in this country appear somewhat stagnant, but among lower income earners, their incomes are actually going up. It's actually the rich. You know, the, the, the Democrats spend so much time talking about the income inequality gap and under the Trump administration, that gap has been closing, and that doesn't get any media coverage. The people on the bottom end of the income scale are actually benefiting from the economy in a way people on the upper end aren't. And Democrats are saying, well, that's the minimum wage. That's the minimum wage. No, actually, that's not the minimum wage because the minimum wage increase to $15 an hour has actually slowed the economies in some portions of the country and has actually caused problems. Thankfully, the overall economy is so strong that people losing their jobs to robots can go out and get jobs elsewhere. 
And those new jobs are actually paying more money, not because of the minimum wage, but because they're desperate to attract workers because the economy is so tight and employment is, is so low. They've got to find workers. And the way they're finding workers is to raise prices. But it bafflingly to economists, inflation's not going up. Uh, everything right now that's going on in this country suggests inflation should be on the rise and wages should be on the rise. Wages are on the rise for people on the low end of the economy, but overall prices aren't. And overall, people on the upper income, they're not seeing huge increases. And that's okay, actually. It's okay. Because people on the bottom end need to make more money. They're busting their butts in this economy. The problem, though, is that it trickles down into state revenue. And here in Georgia, uh, I, I think it is wisdom on the governor's part to do this. It is wisdom on the governor's part to begin to make some scaling back in the state Here's the here's the what I was I was telling somebody earlier. If the scenario from the University of Georgia bears out, then we have avoided taking money out of Georgia's rainy day fund. If the scenario the University of Georgia does not play says is going to happen does not play out, then we've added money to the rainy day fund. So when it does play out eventually, we know eventually there's going to be a bear market. Eventually, we, there will be a recession. And so if it doesn't play out now, then the governor's added enough money to the rainy day fund that we don't have to have all this panic about taxes and revenue later. We'll have a stockpiled rainy day fund bearing interest to help the state. That's a good thing. It's a responsible thing. And it's good the governor's trying to be responsible about it. I see no reason to blow him up over this. It is Eric Erickson here. And the phone number is 877 Eric 877 If you'd like to be on the program, this hour of the program is sponsored by First Liberty of Georgia. FirstLibertyGA.com is their website. If you work for, own, play a role with a, um, a small business or a medium-sized business, and that business wants to be a big business, but have you ever dealt with a bank bureaucracy? My goodness gracious, um, the 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 truest stuff. I mean, just look at the the big bank bureaucracy stuff that we're dealing with there, uh, and the stupid name change is ridiculous. In any event, if you don't want to deal with the bank but you need access to, to a loan, you need access to capital to grow your business, go to First Liberty of Georgia. Tell them I sent you. They sponsor the program. Uh, I want to help them because they've helped me get, I would not have gotten the show off the ground without uh, the Frost family's help at First Liberty of Georgia. So uh, go to firstlibertyga.com. That's their website. Uh, tell them thank you for sponsoring my show and send them some business and, and they'll keep advertising on the show. How about that? Uh, if you want to be involved in the speaker matter, text the word speaker to 52886. Tell your state representative it is time for David Ralston to go. Uh, we need fresh blood there in the speaker's chair. It is amazing how many of these people are scared to death of him. Uh, safety, strength in numbers. Get them all out there. And they will go. If you haven't heard this, yes, I'm going back to the morning topic. Uh, listen to some of this. What is that sound? That is the sound of the people. We can stop it. That, that's the sound of the people cheering the president of the United States and first lady of the United States for showing up at the Superdome last night. 
the Mercedes. I forgot that that's the Mercedes. Are they, are they just going around the country and buying up football? I guess they are to, to brand them as Mercedes Benz. It's always been the Superdome in, in New Orleans. Um, it, it's kind of, dare I, I it, listen, I'm a hometown boy. I can say it's kind of a trash site now. Um, they really should bulldoze it and start over. I mean, it's a neat facility, but still, it, it's it's seen better days. Nonetheless, the president and first lady, uh, the crowds going wild. And, you know, people in the media last night, what a bubble people in the media are in. They were actually stunned, stunned, I tell you, shocked and appalled. I actually saw a reporter say how different this was that in Washington at the World Series, they got booed. How is it possible for them to not get booed there? Yeah, a reporter was actually, and, and you know, I got to be honest with you. I saw several people who were saying this, that you notice in Washington, they all booed the president. He goes to New Orleans and he's cheered. Uh, what a difference it makes to be in and outside the beltway. But then I actually saw a different reporter. I won't name the outlet, uh, the reporter, because it, it actually is a good outlet. Um, but the reporter was actually kind of shocked that there weren't boos. There were chants of USA, USA and cheering the president and first lady. Why? Listen, y'all, this is a Louisiana football team a Louisiana city and they're playing a team from South Carolina. You're not actually going to get a friendlier crowd for the president of the United States, unless this was played in like Birmingham, Alabama. This was a, the crowd went wild for the president and first lady and reporters were upset about it. Um, But of course they were going to. It was a great game. It was a great crowd. They were very friendly to the president of the United States and first lady. They didn't get back to the White House until 2.30 in the morning. They stayed for the whole game and then flew home after the game was over. Uh, Apparently visited some with the team. Steve Scalise was with them. It was a good night for them. Now, in other reporter outrage, I just got to note this. I I, I said earlier, uh, Chris Burns sucks because he went to see 1917 without me after coming on this radio program and saying we were going to go see it. Now I'm going to go see it by myself. A film critic... Actually, let, let me just tell you some of the film criticisms. You know, if you're not familiar with 1917, this is not a kid-friendly movie. It is a war movie, and there are some graphic scenes in the movie. But if you're over the age of 18, one of the things they did with this movie is they made it all with one camera. Um, so there's never you never see the camera like there are no no there are no takes there are no cuts. It's just one continuous film. And it's apparently an impressive feat. It's getting nominated for all sorts of awards. Uh, One film critic is upset, though, because this movie about Great Britain in World War I is too nationalistic. Too nationalistic. How dare it show British patriotism? But my favorite today, I think it's the LA Times. I think it's the LA Times. or One of the LA film critics is upset. There aren't enough women in the movie. Why do they keep showing these same movies with men over and over about wars? Why not have women in the movies? I kid you not. That's a complaint about a World War One movie. There aren't enough women on the battlefield dying. Good Lord, these people have lost their minds. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425. Uh, 
I am going to get into the Democratic debate now, I guess. Well, the, the Democratic situation, you know, we lost a candidate. I had forgotten he was actually still in the race. That's right. For months, Cory Booker had been seen as the sort of candidate who could pull off a surprise on caucus night. He uh, started organizing early. He had racked up endorsements. Um, but, you know, that was that was just not materializing and polls don't reflect everything. But they weren't even giving an indication of whether or not that could happen for him. He was in the latest poll. Uh, pulling bef- uh, below Andrew Yang. Um, so a lot of campaigns are going to be making uh, the case to his organizers, to those top uh, endorsers, uh, to try to get them on their side. Um, as Jeff was pointing out, the, the second choice really matters um, in Iowa. And when I was when I talked to voters um, in the state, they always brought up his name kind of below, you know, the second or the third choice. He was never the top choice for anyone. So it's, it'll be interesting to see where those people who were sort of considering him kind of end up in all of this. A polling below Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang is actually kind of an an interesting candidate, and I, and, and I mean that in all seriousness. Uh, he's got a lot of ideas that I think are terrible and and not very functional. But he actually, I mean, he comes across as just a nice guy. I mean, genuinely comes across as a nice guy, someone you, you'd want to have a beer with, someone you'd want to hang out with, uh, someone who is very interesting. And I think that uh, Cory Booker, can I say something? Will you allow me to say, y'all let me say something nice about Stacey Abrams the other day. Let, let me say something nice about Cory Booker. Um, Cory Booker has had some moments where he has embarrassed himself trying to grab headlines and attention. And those headlines that he tried to grab, his Spartacus moment, remember his Spartacus moment in the in the U.S. Senate? But on the campaign trail, Cory Booker did something that very few of the other candidates would do. He actually spoke highly of Trump voters. As a single black man from New Jersey, Cory Booker, as a Democratic candidate, had every opportunity and reason to slam Trump voters as racist and bigots like a lot of his fellow candidates have done. And he chose not to. He chose to say we need to bring the country together and get beyond the Trump years and and show people who voted for Donald Trump, uh, who had voted for Barack Obama, that the Democratic Party had not forgotten them and wanted to re-earn their trust. And I think he needs to be commended for that. He But he ran a terrible campaign. What is, is funny to me, Joe Biden is, what, 77 years old? Uh, Donald Trump is will be if if Biden or uh, Bernie Sanders is the nominee, uh, Donald Trump will be younger than all of them. Elizabeth Warren is 70. And I'm I'm shocked that an Andrew Yang or a Pete Buttigieg or an Amy Klobuchar or a, a Cory Booker or one of them has not run a campaign saying Joe Biden would be a step backwards. We're headed uh, into the roaring 20s of the 21st century we don't need to go back and he would be a step back. Part of the reason they don't want to do that is because to some degree it could be taken as an indictment of the Obama years, but I think there are ways around that and and they, they didn't do it. They couldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. And that's on them. It's going to be Joe Biden. Now is probably the nominee. Uh, There's more dirt coming out on Bernie Sanders. Uh, I will get there, but there's some breaking news at this time. It's 39 after the hour and you need to know the wait is over. I I can't believe they did this. Y'all, I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm not gonna use bad words. I'm not gonna cuss. I'm not. I'm. I'm gonna be good. They're naming it Truest Park. Why, in God's name, 
have we gone for weeks, weeks with him saying, you're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised. We're going to rename SunTrust Park. We're going to come up with a new name. You're all going to be, you just wait for it. We're going to unveil it on Tuesday morning. Wait until you find out what the it's truest park, the bank, the merger of SunTrust and BB&T is truest. And it's going to be, tr- what a stupid name. First of all, Truist is a stupid, stupid name. Whoever came up with the name should be dragged into the street and flogged with wet spaghetti noodles. And whoever decided, hey, let's name it Truist Park, should be flogged with wet spaghetti noodles and then have meatballs shoved up their nose. It's ridiculous. It is stupid. I mean, name it name it Hank Aaron Field. Sponsored by Truist Bank. Are you really getting any goodwill out of it anyway? Is anyone going to today? <gasps> they changed their name to Truist. Let me shut down my 15-year-old Bank of America account and move it to Truist. They don't even want your checking account. They just want your loans. It's, I'm sorry. It's just stupid to me. It, it genuinely is stupid. Uh, I am annoyed by the whole thing. And then to drag it out and claim it's some sort of surprise and, and claim we're all going to be dazzled with it. No, it's just stupid. It is just stupid. And, and they should be flogged forever doing it. Now I can move back into the Democratic debate now that I've had that say. Bernie Sanders opt research is coming out and y'all i can tell you listen this is this is genuine it is honest i know these things i have run political campaigns elizabeth warren is responsible for the opposition research on bernie sanders elizabeth warren wants to be the progressive against joe biden she thinks if she can be the progressive against joe biden she can make it about moving forward moving backwards bernie sanders can't do that elizabeth warren wants to do it but she floundered because of medicare for all she floundered in her defense of it she floundered in her claims that she could raise taxes on the top one percent and pay for everything including unicorn farts for all and nobody takes her seriously anymore and so now she's determined to tear down bernie sanders she was the one who leaked she herself by the way not her campaign it was elizabeth warren personally let it be known that bernie sanders told her a woman couldn't be president of the united states and then it turns out there's video of bernie sanders saying elizabeth warren should run for president which completely undermined her claims and now she's come out with this passive aggressive statement i don't really want to talk about this anymore because bernie and i are both champions of the progressive cause well, now they've got this oppo out on Bernie Sanders. But I remember, for some reason or other, being very excited when, when Fidel Castro made the revolution in Cuba. I was a kid and I remember reading that. And it was just seemed right and appropriate that poor people were rising up against rather ugly rich people. And I remember, again, very distinctly, a very distinct feeling. I was watching the debates. You remember the famous Nixon-Kennedy debates? That was the first time <coughs> the presidential cam- candidates actually debated. And I was becoming increasingly interested in politics, didn't know much, but was interested. I remember sitting in the student lounge at our dormitory watching the debate. And at that time, well, I can talk about Cuba now, I was very excited and impressed by the, the Cuban Revolution. And there was Kennedy and Nixon talking about which particular method they should use about uh, destroying the revolution. And I remember the irony as we, we learned the history later on. Kennedy was saying that Nixon was too soft on communism. Let me pick up a point that Rick was making in Cuba. We should deal firmly with Fidel Castro. And Nixon was playing the role of, hey, you've got to be patient. 
you know, you can't do these things, you've got to negotiate. But of course, what he was upset about is that secretly they were planning the Bay of Pigs invasion right then. But for security reasons, he come, couldn't come out and say, we're already planning the destruction of the Cuban Revolution, don't worry about it. So he, he was the liberal, and Kennedy was playing the conservative. And actually, you know, there are, when you read novels, people say there's a, a sick feeling in your stomach. Usually I'm sufficiently unemotional not to be sick, but I actually got up from the room and almost left the puke. Because for the first time in my adult life, what I was seeing is the Democrats and Republicans, both of them, and of course, as Rick points out, Kennedy was the flashing young liberal. And what we were seeing right before our, my eyes, way, way back then, and I didn't know anything about politics, but clearly that there really wasn't a, a whole lot of, of difference between the two. So, this is 1986. It is video of Bernie Sanders upset that John F. Kennedy wanted to undermine the proletariat uprising in Cuba led by Fidel Castro against the rich. Bernie Sanders, as a communist, defending Fidel Castro in 1986. You know, this is a man who honeymooned in the Soviet Union. This is Oppo. This is Oppo research from Elizabeth Warren's campaign against Bernie. It's kind of funny, the commie trying to take out the commie. Now, she's actually just a socialist. He actually is a, a an ardent, true believer in communism, uh, calling it democratic socialism uh, as much as he wants. Uh, ridiculous, genuinely ridiculous. But she's out to get him now. She's got to find her way forward. And I don't know that she can do it. It's going to be interesting. I, I Listen. I said earlier, uh, I got in trouble when I worked for CNN saying it was not interested in watching a Republican debate, and I really wasn't. I'm not interested in watching the Democratic debate tonight, and I'm going to for you because I love you, and I'm willing to take one for the team and watch this. And then, and then I'm actually going to make Charlie spend his morning tomorrow cutting up sound bites from the Democratic debate because I need him to suffer through it with me after his angry text messages he's been sending me during the show. (laughs) It's his job. He's got to. We will suffer through the Democratic debate. It is going to be interesting to watch uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren on stage tonight. You know, I think it's a CNN debate in Iowa. It is a CNN debate in Iowa. You know they're going to ask about this feud. And both of them are going to say, oh, we're, we're, we're just, we're all here. It's ideas, ideas. We're not going to go after all. Oh. And these candidates are seething with each other. Here's the dirty little secret. I, I have heard this from so many people that a lot of uh, Kamala Harris in the United States Senate, that a lot of the Republicans in the Senate actually do like Kamala Harris and do like Amy Klobuchar. I rarely hear of one of them liking Elizabeth Warren. They found things to work together, like Ted Cruz and Elizabeth Warren together have worked on different things, but no one's really a huge fan of Elizabeth Warren and, and her personality in the Senate. She she comes across as, as somewhat stern, but none of them particularly care for Bernie Sanders either. It, it's always the, the true-believing commies who have no sense of humor. It's like the I mentioned at the bottom of the hour, if, if you missed it, uh, there's a, a film critic who's upset that the movie 1917 about World War One, a, a movie filmed in the battle trenches of World War One, uh, didn't have enough women in it. It wasn't diverse enough. You know, 
who who comes up with that sort of stuff other than some ardent true believer in communist revolution uh, that, that apparently they take away humor in the communist revolution? And these two are going to have to be on stage tonight with each other dealing with this issue that Elizabeth Warren started and Bernie Sanders is is mad about. Bernie Sanders, by the way, is really mad about it. And now Elizabeth Warren is trying to deny she had anything to do with it, which is garbage. I just think it's going to be funny to see. It's going to be funny to see how it shapes up. It's going to be funny to see how they engage with each other. And it's going to be funny to see how CNN tries to elevate the tension on stage by doing something with it. But there's something else here. And it ties in perfectly with the Academy Awards, the Oscars. It turns out that we got another all-white Oscar, and it's an all-male director's award. Greta Gerwig, who did Little Women, uh, Little Women has been nominated for some awards, but she has been shut out of the Best Director Award. And people in Hollywood are really upset about the diversity thing again. You know, the Academy Awards expanded the pool of people who could be in the Academy Awards or who could vote. They expanded the people, the Academy members. Then they expanded the number of films that could be nominated so you had this thing where you would give this long list of awards uh, at the end of December, and then in, in they would pare them down between December and January, and then they would announce them, and they've announced them, and it's all it's a bunch of white dudes for best director. It's a bunch of white people across the Academy Awards. Uh, if they could fit uh, best uh, male actress in a, in a while, I'm I'm sure like like um, what's his name uh, Bruce Jenner would win the award for best actress. If they could put a, a white dude in there too, and the they're beside themselves on diversity because they're only interested in skin deep diversity. And now we've got a democratic debate stage that's going to be as white as the Academy Awards. I think Andrew Yang did not qualify for it. Maybe he did, but if he did, he would be the only um, non-white person on stage and the media keeps confusing him for a white dude. And Democrats are beside themselves. They have elevated diversity as to such a big deal in the Democratic Party that it's a defeat for them that it's not diverse. But you know something that the media is not going to point out? The media will ruthlessly avoid pointing it out. The Republican debate field, the Republican presidential field was way more diverse than the Democratic field ever has been. You had an Indian American, you had multiple Hispanic candidates, you had a black candidate, you haven't had any of that in the Democratic field. And yet the narrative from the media is that the Democrats are the party of diversity. Republicans are not only the party of skin level diversity, they're the party of intellectual diversity. You are far more likely to find a Republican supportive of gay marriage and abortion than you are to find a Democrat who is pro-life and supports traditional marriage. The Democratic Party is built on the lie that it supports diversity. And the media, of course, backs them up on that. And tonight on the debate stage, the world will see a bunch of old white people yelling at each other, trying to defend communism. I I would just like to know on the, well, I, I'm trying to think, how do I, how do I, I phrase this? Uh, um, I, the Academy Awards, the nominations, uh, you've got 1917 is in there, Ford versus Ferrari is in there, The Irishman is in there, um, you've got uh, what Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is in there, The Joker, it's, I, I'm trying to remember, 
And I don't know the answer. I'm trying to remember the last time that the Academy Awards for Best Picture had a slate of movies that I actually knew about and and had some emotional investment in. Because normally, it seems like in the last several years, the Academy Awards have had a bunch of uh, nonsensical Best Picture movies that uh, I'd never heard of or never saw. I mean, some of them certainly, but most of them not. And this year, you've got Ford versus Ferrari is excellent. If you get the opportunity to see Ford versus Ferrari, watch it. It is an excellent, excellent movie. Um, the Joker, I actually, I've got it loaded onto my iPad to watch. Uh, Charlie says he wasn't sure I would like it or not. Uh, several friends of mine have told me I need to see it. Uh, I'm going to go see Wednesday night. I'm going to see 1917. I'm, I'm desperate to see 1917. The Irishman, I, I, it's one of those start, stop, start, stop, start, stop ones. And I've got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood loaded. I actually want to see that one. Um, and so I, I'm actually for the first time in a while, actually interested in, in, in the Academy Awards is not something I ever, since I was a kid, when I was a kid, I, I take that back. I should rephrase this. When I was a kid, my grandmother and I, we would come home from Dubai and I remember I would stay up with my grandmother and we would watch the Academy Awards together. Uh, she would eventually go to bed and I would get to stay up all night and watch the Academy Awards. My grandmother was always interested in the, the immemorium portion of the Academy Awards. She wanted to see who all the famous people were who had died the year before. I still like to watch that part. That's about the only part of it I really like to watch uh, these days. Um, But I just, I kind of lost interest in it. I I don't know when it actually happened, but at some point, I guess with the increase in liberalism in Hollywood in the 90s and the early 2000s, all of these crap movies that I couldn't care less about uh, started getting nominated and winning for Best Picture. What a what a garbage what a garbage thing. Um, what was that that American Beauty movie was just trash. And I heard so many film critics. I will never forget my wife and I watched that movie. It was the Kevin Spacey movie. It was a trash movie. Don't ever watch it. Um, and all the critics. Oh, this movie it just captures Americana. No, 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 no. It's one of those movies where the 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 suburban middle class family. It's all a ruse. They're actually deeply demented, horrible people. It's the gay couple. That's the normal couple. Uh, deeply disruptive of American society. And, and anything good was actually bad. And all the things that were out of line with normalcy were good in the movie. And it, it was deeply offensive. We watched it. And then we looked at each other like, what is this trash? And now I'm, I'm delighted to learn that I wasn't alone. Because at the time, there were so many people praising this movie. And it was garbage. And then what was that other stupid movie? Um, what is it? Uh, the, the Trash or some nonsense? I tried to watch that movie. And I thought these people are out of their minds. And now of all the things to be worked up in Hollywood, it's, it's that there are too many men and too many white people getting awards. I see Stephen King, the author, is under fire today for noting that diversity for diversity's sake is not a good thing. <gasps> He sounds conservative in saying that, and people are lighting him on fire for having the audacity to say that. But he's actually right. Diversity for diversity's sake is not a good thing. You know, in talk radio, it is no secret, talk radio is dominated by men. Uh, There are very few women in conservative talk radio, at least. Uh, Dana Lash stands out as one of the only ones left who is actually good and competent and listenable. And there are radio stations all over this country that try to find women and, and pigeonhole them into conservative talk. And then there are women who think that they can capitalize on diversity and claim, I'm a woman, I'm a woman, and you should let me in. And, and they do their terrible impression of what a conservative actually is, and they're not very good and listenable. 
And I'm sorry that at the end of the day, most people in their car or their office would rather be entertained by someone who has something to say, who oftentimes you never know what they're going to say, than the person who does their bad impression of what a conservative talk radio show host looks like and screams, I'm a woman, you should listen to me and make it more diverse. Who the hell cares? Just be entertaining. Uh, You don't have to be obnoxious about it and in your face about it and all that stuff. And I'm just amazed at the number of people, particularly in the in the conservative sphere these days, who want to pull the diversity card. I do not care whether you are black, uh, white, Hispanic, Asian, gay, straight, male, female. Be an interesting person with interesting ideas who can actually make a comprehensive thought without throwing into my face who you are demographically, because that has nothing to do with your ability to think. It's just, it's, it's this diversity stuff has got everybody wound up. And I, I love to see the people in Hollywood consuming themselves. And now the Democrats on stage tonight over this diversity stuff, good riddance to them. The revolutionaries always come for themselves.